Hi, welcome to episode five of Wide Left Sports. I am here today with former strength and conditioning coach for the Seattle Mariners, and he's currently working as a second ranger battalion in Fort Lewis for the Army there. Um, Alan Wordala. Alan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing really great. Thank you again for coming on and agreeing to this. It, it's awesome to have you. Yeah, good. No problem. So I'm just wondering, you know, you're from Geyser, Montana. How did you get your job as the strength and conditioning coach for the Seattle Mariners? Uh, well, um, after I graduated from college... I, my first job out of college was at a physical therapy clinic, and I was kind of like a, uh, an uh, assistant to, to the physical therapist. Physical therapy technician was my title, so I just assisted the physical therapist and all their, uh, their daily things. And uh, the guy who was the Mariners athletic trainer at the time um, always came to Great Falls for the, the circuit finals rodeo. And he always came into the, the clinic that I worked at because we had a little gym there. And he always came in there and worked out because he, he knew the people, the, the therapists and a few of the other people who worked there. So, um, and I had always wanted to get into baseball. So um, it just happened that uh, when I met him, they had a, a position as an athletic trainer in, at one of the minor league affiliates, which was in Appleton, Wisconsin. Um, one of the, uh, a job there was available. So we kind of did an interview there and, um, uh, that's where I got my start as an athletic trainer in the, the minor leagues or one of the Mariners affiliates. Wow, that is an awesome story. I had kind of known that, but um, I didn't know that you started out in Wisconsin at one of the minor leagues. Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah, Appleton, Wisconsin, and it was as uh, 1993 and 94 I was there, and um, it was really not as evolved. Baseball wasn't as it is now as far as strength coaches and all that kind of stuff. I mean, basically, I was, I was the athletic trainer, but I was also the strength coach. Uh, I set up the bus times. I washed the uniform sometimes. I cleaned the clubhouse. So uh, back then, <laughs> the, the athletic trainer did pretty much everything. You have a jack-of-all-trades. You wore multiple hats. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So And then when... Uh, as far as getting to, to actual Seattle at, in, in the major leagues, um, it was after the uh, minor league season was over in 94 and the major league baseball strike happened. And then um, the following winter, they were trying to get a staff together and the guy who was the strength coach in Seattle had kind of his own, um, his own private business going in Seattle and he didn't, he didn't want to start up with replacement players. So they offered me offered me the job, and we actually started spring training for about a, uh, I don't really remember, but I think it was about a week with uh, with replacement players. Wow, do you think there's going to be a long stoppage here in the next day or two with the CBA? You know, I, it kind of sounds like there will be, but hopefully it doesn't carry over into the spring. And I mean, we've missed enough baseball over the last, especially in 2020, that we don't need any more stoppages. So hopefully it it uh, corrects itself and they, they get it figured out definitely so give me a day in the life you know as a strength and conditioning coach it's kind of a dream job for a lot of people so what did your day entail um well it was it was fairly similar on the road at home but there's there's a few different things but uh if we start off with a uh, general uh seven o'clock or 705 start 
at home. I would generally get to the park somewhere around noon, noon and one o'clock. Um, players would start filtering in then, and a lot of them would would get their workouts done early, which I encourage them to do. As I mean, if you get a workout finished by one or two o'clock in the afternoon, you've got uh, a couple hours still before batting practice, and you've got five hours before the game starts. So there's plenty of time to to rest up after you've you've trained in the weight room uh, until it's until it's game time. So um, I would work with those guys up until we we went out to to warm up for batting practice which was generally around four o'clock, I think, if I remember. So uh, we'd go out and warm up and we'd take our regular batting practice where, uh, uh, you know, the guys would do all their, their baseball skills work during that time. Um, taking, taking ground balls, taking fly balls, pitchers throwing bullpens, all that kind of stuff. Um, and when I uh, was the bullpen catcher, I would catch bullpens during that time. That's when all the pitchers would throw their, do their throwing as well as I threw batting practice for about 10 years also. So uh, I would generally have a group of uh, a group of hitters to throw batting practice to as well. So um, after that, you've got uh, probably about, that lasts about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And then there's a, a break between then and uh, the players come in and eat. Um, and more, you know, they watch video during that time uh, and have meetings and things like that of, of the opposing opposing team. And then I uh, finish all that up, and it's game time. So it's pretty busy from the time from noon until until the game is over, which you know generally is around 10 o'clock. So um, post game would be uh, the next wave of players who came in to work out. Uh, it's kind of a matter of preference, position player wise, whether they like to work out before the game or after the game. Um, so we would have kind of two different times when guys well guys would come in all day, but two different main times early in the day and then after the game. Um, and usually I'd get out of the ballpark if it was a three hour game by 11 or 1130. Wow. That is definitely a full, full day. So you mentioned that yeah, you were sure. a bullpen catcher and I didn't know that you also threw batting practice. So that adds another question in who was your hardest pitcher that you had to catch? Hello, are you still there? Yep, I'm still here. Who was the hardest pitcher that you had to catch as the bullpen coach? Um, well, well, you know the, the the hardest ones. I mean, there's been so many so many guys. I'm, I'm sure I've forgotten a lot of them. But the hardest ones who were guys who had no control. Um, so if they don't know where it's going, then it's tough for the catcher to catch the ball. So, uh, guy, even when uh, we had Randy Johnson, he had learned how to, he had learned control by that time. So he was, he wasn't that hard to catch. He knew where the ball was going, but I mean, there was a lot of young relievers. I remember who could throw 98 miles an hour, but had no clue where the ball was going. So those guys were really, really hard to catch. And uh, it made it worse if uh, the bullpen was out on the field, like in Oakland or somewhere like that, where, you know, the, the ball gets by me and it goes in the outfield and we got to stop the game because the bullpen catcher missed the ball. So that wasn't real fun. I can only imagine that would not be fun. So then also yeah. a follow-up is who was the most fun to throw to in batting practice? Um, well, for a number of years, uh, Ichiro insisted that I throw to him. So that was pretty fun. Just uh, He had a lot of uh, – he was as regimented a player with his uh, pr game preparation as anyone I've been around. So he had his own weight, weight routine that he did before the game. He had his own machines. And I think it was in spring training one year. 
Um, I threw batting practice to him, and he had a good a good hitting game that day. So after that, uh, he wanted me to throw to him every day. So I did that for a long time. It's all about the mojo. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If, if you think something works, then it does. So. Exactly. So another rumor I had kind of heard about Ichiro with batting practice is he's quite the slugger in batting practice. Is that true? Uh, yeah, he was probably the uh, the best home run hitter I've ever seen in batting practice. He could hit a home run whenever he wanted. Wow! But uh, that, that wasn't that wasn't the game that you know that he he did during the games. He was uh, put the ball in play, make contact, disrupt the defense kind of guy. But uh, I mean, him and him and Griffey Jr. would have home run hitting contests and batting practice all the time for their last round. And, um, I remember his his last round when I always used to throw to him. I, I would put, try to put the ball middle in because he wanted to turn on every pitch and hit every ball in this last round out of the park, and he did it a lot of times. So, yeah, it, it was pretty impressive to watch. Oh, man, that would have been fun to see firsthand. That, I mean, just seeing Griffey in general, but then seeing Ichiro do it too would have just been amazing. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was what the bad thing about uh, the home games is uh, we had batting practice early before the gates even opened. So generally, as a Mariners fan at home, you didn't get to see that because we were we were already in taking batting practice and pretty much getting close to being over with. And Ichiro was always in the first hitting group, so he was done early. Yeah. And, uh, unless you went on the road, you didn't get to see that very often. That's awesome. So the other day, my dad and I were here in Utah, and we were watching – King Felix's perfect per, perfect game. What was that like being in the stadium at that moment for that game? I mean, it was awesome. Uh, I can't. I, this was my that year of 2012 was my 20th year overall in professional baseball. 18 of them in Seattle, and uh, that year was the first year I'd never before that year started. I'd never seen a perfect game or a no hitter live, and then that year. Uh, we had a perfect game thrown against us by Philip Philip Humber, I believe, of the White Sox. And then we had the, uh, I think it was a six-pitcher no-hitter that was against the Dodgers, I think, that we threw. And then, of course, Felix's perfect game. So, uh, but yeah, Felix's perfect game was awesome. It was so much fun to watch and just uh, so much tension that it was, he, was he is, he's such a good player. I remember being in my living room, Sitting there, I don't have very many nails, but I remember sitting there biting what I have of nails in the seventh and eighth inning, just like hoping he would get it. It was such a great game to watch on TV. I can only imagine what it was like live. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. And uh, Felix was was such a good pitcher for so many years. I mean, he was one of those few pitchers you could say every time he went to the mound, he had a chance to, to throw a no-hitter or to throw a perfect game. and. Um, he had, uh, he was probably the best pitch for the game for eight or 10 years, some, something like that. So he was, he was just dominant. Definitely. So kind of staying on him a little bit, do you see him coming back at all or do you see him being done? Um, well, he's basically been, I think not, not pitched for two years now. So, um, I'd have to say he's probably, he's probably done. Um, I don't know how many years he pitched. I'm thinking it was like 15 or 16, maybe something like that. Yeah. And he threw a lot of, he threw a lot of innings when he was, like I said, one of the best in the game. He was over 200 innings every year and he, he, uh, he carried a big workload. So he's got a lot of, uh, a lot of stress that happened on his body that, uh, um, yeah, I'd have to say that he's probably not going to pitch anymore. 
Yeah, and then do you think he was, like you said, one of the best pitchers for eight to ten years and, um, you know, didn't have the best record because obviously Seattle didn't always have the best teams behind him. But do you think he has a shot at the Hall of Fame? I mean, I, I would say so. I mean, uh, I, mean I, I saw it firsthand for a lot of years. And like I said, he's, he had the one of the one of the guys you would say could do something special every time he pitched for, for eight or ten years. And that's a pretty good... That's a pretty good resume, even though the wins probably don't reflect that. But like you said, there were some offensive struggles that he didn't get a lot of run support for a lot of years. But uh, he was uh, he was dominant for sure. And I think he has a good chance to be, to be in the Hall of Fame. I sure hope so. I Again, you know, with the Mariners, I remember when Griffey got put in. That was a great day for Mariner baseball. So I hope that Ichiro will here in a couple of years. And then... Um, Hopefully, Felix will, too, in the future. Yeah, I hope so. So, what bonds did you build with players? You know, you said that Ichiro only wanted you to throw batting practice, but what bonds did you build beyond baseball? Um, I still keep in contact with a few guys that I was, I was close with when they played. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the guys that were players when I was there are coaches now, and even David Bell is a manager uh, of the Reds. So uh, I still uh, I still text a few guys here and there, and uh, it's nice to hear from those guys so many years after I've left. And uh, now that Kyle Seeger is not going to be a Mariner any longer, that was my the last player that uh, was was with the Mariners when I was there. So I know that's it, sad. It has been almost ten years, so I guess it's uh, that's that's about normal, I guess. Yeah, it's sad to see um, him not there anymore, but so. One of my questions is, you are a trainer, so what is the hardest injury to come back from in baseball? Um, well, any injury, if, if you don't do the proper rehab, it's going to be tough. But, I mean, in the game, that requires uh, uh, such such a strain on, on the throwing arm. It's uh, anything related, if you're a pitcher, anything related to your arm, whether it's shoulder or elbow for Tommy John, rotator cuff for the shoulder. Um, those things are hard to come back from, but a, a good rehab program and being consistent with it, um, those, those are going to be, I mean, that's going to be a big, a big plus in your ability to come back and, uh, just takes a little time. I know if, uh, players are impatient to come back, they want to rush things, but taking those, taking the time doing the correct rehab and being consistent with it, uh, you know, it's, it's not a hundred percent that you're going to be back the way you were, but, uh, that's certainly going to be a big part of it. Definitely. So what do pitchers do for arm care to keep their arms as fresh as they can through the grind of a 162 game season? Uh, well, a lot of uh, what we call prehab. You do a lot of exercises for it, trying to strengthen up those smaller muscle groups in your shoulder and elbow that, that take a lot of strain. Um, and also just doing general strength training where if we make the bigger muscles strong, it can take some of the stress off of those smaller, more vulnerable muscles. So again, consistent consistency with your training as far as being in the weight room during the year is big. Um, it's a long season. It's six months. And I, I know they have more off days now than when I was there, but when I was there, you played, uh, you know, 162 games in 180 days yeah. and, uh, not, not many off days and us being way up here in the, in the Northwest, um, a lot of our off days were spent traveling, going going to the East Coast. So no kidding. You know, we usually leave it leave it noon here, which is three in New York, and it's a five hour flight. And uh, you get to the hotel, it's ten o'clock at night, and it's time to go to bed. So uh, basically, your off day is spent on the plane. So that made it that made it tough, also. 
but just being consistent with the training program um, and working as hard as you can in the, in the off season, trying to build yourself up. Cause it's, I always used to have, have a little speech in spring training that uh, you're not going to, the first day of spring training, I said, you're not going to feel any better than you do right now the rest of the year, it's, but it's just how you manage, manage your time and manage your workouts and manage your workload. Um, that will determine if you can, you know, make it through the season healthy. Definitely. So what type of strength do you think any baseball player, but specifically an MLB player has to have, you know, is it pure muscle for upper body? Is it legs? What is the main type of strength that they need to focus on? Um, I mean, it's more, I think more important is, is your lower half and your trunk, your core. Um, I mean, you're on your feet all game and you're expected to move quickly after, you know, sitting in the dugout for a half inning, you go out to the field, you're expected to move quickly. Um, you hit with your legs, you feel with your legs, getting yourself into, into proper positions when you're doing those things is big. So um, the stronger you are um, in those areas, the easier it is for you to do your skill work, um, which will lead to better performance on the field too. So um, I'd, I'd say your, your lower half is probably the most important thing that, that, that you train as a baseball player, whether you're a pitcher, a catcher, an infielder. Neat. So then I want to transition into a little bit more fun questions here. So you mentioned, you know, you worked with King Felix, you worked with Ichiro. How hard is it to communicate with all the different languages? Um, you know, by the time players got to the major leagues, they, they could communicate pretty well, even if they, English wasn't their, their first language. So uh, we, we got by fairly easily. I mean, Felix, Felix was fluent when he came to the big leagues at eight. 19 so there wasn't a problem there and uh Ichiro you could uh, we could communicate with Ichiro as well as you know, the other Japanese players uh, like Sasaki um they were all by the time they got to the big leagues they had learned a fair amount of English and they even taught us some some of their native language too so oh that's that neat for, for all of us that was going to be my next com or my next comment was did you become you know like even conversational in all the different languages to where uh -huh. you could at least understand it I, would, I wouldn't say conversation. No, I would, I would be able to pick up a few words here and there. I mean, I took Spanish when I was in high school, but, it, you know, it didn't really, <laughs> didn't really last. But you could, you could pick up a few words here and there. And um, same thing with. Did I lose you? Alan? Yeah, are you, are you there? I'm here, yep. Okay. <laughs> So I have seen your Facebook with the Griffey t-shirt, with the Bobcat t-shirt. What's the story with that? Um, well, it was, uh, I used to know someone who worked in the athletic department for the Bobcats, and that's that's where I graduated from college. So I just thought it would be cool to get a, a shirt for, for, for uh, Ken to wear. And, uh, I actually, I got one for Rob Johnson, too. He was uh, a Butte native. I was going to say uh, I thought that. Leagues. Yeah, he played in the big leagues for, I think, maybe a year or two. I'm not really sure. But he was kind of on the fence about rooting. He said he rooted for both Caps and Grizz. So. But I got, I got him a shirt anyway. So. Well, being from beauty, he was probably a tech guy. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> so what is your favorite visitor ballpark that you went to? Um, hmm. Let's see. I'd have to say my favorite was probably Fenway Park. Even though, I mean, it's, it's a hundred and whatever year old stadium, but just the atmosphere there was really was really cool. Um, 
one of the things I like to do on the road trips is I, I just go walk the streets in the morning, whatever city we're in. And Boston was a really cool city to just walk around in. And uh, if you didn't know anything about baseball, you could walk right by Fenway Park and not even know it's there. So it's kind of just on a, oh, on a corner neat. in the middle of the city. And it doesn't look like all the stadiums do today. So it, it's really cool. Uh, yeah, I, thought, I think Fenway was probably my favorite park to go to. That's really neat. And then what is your favorite um, ballpark food that was either a visitor or at Safeco, now T-Mobile? Uh, well, actually, the only time I've ever eaten at a ballpark, in, like in the concourse, was when, was when I left the Mariners and, and then went to a game as a fan. So I never went in the stands to eat, to eat ballpark food when we were there. We always had food in the clubhouse. Um, but we can expand on that. We could, we could go with uh, Promanti Brothers in Pittsburgh. It's a sandwich shop that is it is so good. They put French fries and coleslaw on their sandwich with this uh, like French bread, and it's the best sandwich ever. That sounds really good, definitely. Yeah, and we, that's uh, they will do that in some of the cities. Like as a as a visitor going there, they'll take like a famous restaurant's food and bring it in the clubhouse for us. So they brought in Primanti Brothers when we were in Pittsburgh, and uh, it, and they kind of have the same thing at a place called. Uh, uh, I can't remember the name in Cleveland, but there's a restaurant in Cleveland that does the same thing. And since Cleveland and Pittsburgh are kind of rivals, um, the Pittsburgh people say Cleveland stole that from them. <laughs> Panini's, that's the name of the restaurant, Panini's in Cleveland. Oh, that's funny. That's too funny. So I've seen Mariners, especially, I think, Seager Warrior Rockets gym shirts. How is that going? Uh, well, that is just a shirt I made up. Um, when I was with the Mariners, because my, my nickname was Rocket when I was with the Mariners. Yep. So uh, it's, it's not an actual an actual gym. It's just shirts that I made up that say that on there and gave them to the players. Awesome. So where did you get that nickname? Uh, well, it was one of the coaches. His name was uh, John McLaren. Um, he was actually the interim manager, or actually made the manager or interim manager for a year or two. But um, – it was when I was just started throwing batting practice one day, and uh, he just started calling me Rocket for some reason. I didn't really know why. I thought he was just kind of, kind of you know, giving me a hard time because I, you know, maybe you throw like like Roger Clemens, whose nickname is Rocket. But I asked him one day, and he said, uh, "No, I'm calling you Rocket because your number is 88, like Rocket Ismail, the football player." And I said, "Mac, his number is 81, not 88." So it was actually all a big mistake, but it's, it stuck and. Uh, I think uh, when we got a new player in the offseason, they uh, they didn't even know what my name was. They just called me Rocket a lot of times. I'm not even sure they knew what my real name was. So, oh, that's too I funny. Been Rocket for a long time. That's awesome. Well, Alan, it's been a pleasure having you. I want to thank you for agreeing to this and always being so kind to me throughout the years. You've been a great friend, and I've enjoyed talking to you tonight, and I always enjoy talking to you. So thank you so oh. much. Is there anything else that you want to add to? Is there anything else you would like to add? I don't. I don't think so. No, I think we've uh, we've touched on a lot of stuff. Perfect. Well, again, thank you so much, and you have a great rest of your night. All right. Thanks a lot. <laughs> you too. Bye. All right. Bye.